0: You're listening to the best of Kevin and Quarry on 93.5 and 107.5.
1: The Fan. That song makes me smile, Jake Quarry. Keyword is the fan, right? Yeah, I the don't know if professionalism
2: phrase. will be practiced here in the next 10 minutes or so. Right. Apologies up front for that.
1: At least you have your shirt on.
2: Uh, Micah Shrewsbury, the head coach of the Notre Dame men's basketball program, a statement that I love to hear, uh, joins us now. Coach, um, you said during your press conference your hobbies are family and basketball. Uh, a glimpse into myself, my hobbies are family, Notre Dame basketball, and Tiger Woods, and it depends on the day in that order. So um, as a diehard Notre Dame basketball fan, I am very excited that you are the new men's basketball coach.
3: Oh, I, I appreciate that. I'm, uh, I'm glad I can... Glad I can be on with you guys today and, and talk some Notre Dame basketball.
2: And how about this? Uh Cathedral Grad and my uncle used to be the priest at Saint Matthew and I believe you were a warrior back in the day.
3: <laughs> I was a warrior back in the day. So we're we're going way back with, with a lot of uh past hits. Like if you would tell me your your favorite baseball player back in the day was Razor Shines, then <laughs> We're all over it. Uh,
2: Former Indianapolis Indian, right, Jake? Raising razor Shine. Razor
1: Shine. About that. That's right. I'd have to go Griffey on that one. Hey coach, I'm fascinated by this because you might have the record. I mean there are, Royce Waltman is probably up there as well, but for the most Indiana institutions where you've coached, which I think is cool, right? So I'm looking at I mean you played at Hanover. Did you play for Beitzel at Hanover? I did. Okay. I did. okay. And then you were at Wabash as an assistant. You were at DePauw as an assistant. Was that? I'm trying to think of who was at DePaul at the time. Would that have been Waltman? Wasn't there no, yet? Finland. Was he?
3: I, I worked for uh, for Bill Finland, so I've worked for some of the some of the greats um, in Indiana Indiana basketball. With um, and also Skip, I worked my first year right out of right out of college. I worked for Todd Sturgeon at the University of Indianapolis for a year. So, um, Todd Sturgeon, Mac Petty at Wabash, Bill Finland at DePaul, a lot of great Indiana coaches.
1: Well, and with that, and then obviously, you know, Brad Stevens, Matt Painter, I mean, so I was curious about this because the the, the obvious answer here is going to be Painter or Stevens, but – Which coach do you find yourself in the middle of a coaching practice, in the middle of a session, in the middle of a timeout in a game, when you reflect back, do you think to yourself, you know what, I take a little piece of what I learned from blank coach more than people would guess. Which one most influenced you?
3: Yeah, I I would probably say um – probably Brad, uh, just because of how much time I was with him, right? We were we were together for 10 years, you know, four at Butler, six in Boston. Uh, so a lot of things like, and I don't know if they're um, intentional or not, but a, a lot of things that I end up doing or how we play or things I say are, are a lot like him. Uh, but Coach Painter, in the same way, uh, a lot of the – stuff we do in practice. Um, some of the things that we emphasize are are really important, right? Because, you know, he's got a program that's won at a high level. Um, why not try and mimic some of those things?
2: He's Michael Shrewsbury. He's head coach of the Notre Dame basketball program. He's with us here on the Payless Less Liquors Hotline. Coach, I was reading something, I think, with maybe one of your Penn State beat writers when you first took the job, and you were sharing a story with him about um, you know, here's a picture of a recent Indiana high school semi-state game. I want to say it was Kokomo and Penn, and, and you were like, "This is kind of what it means to be back in this state for me." Um, it's getting back into this culture, this atmosphere that you know, obviously, a huge part of your life has been about. Do you, you mind sharing that story of, of you know when this opportunity arose and and trying to explain to people, you know, in this state, it's just too good to pass up.
3: It is. And, um, I, you know, I, like we talked about at the start, I've been fortunate to work um, at a lot of schools in this state. And um, and, and have, if I haven't worked there, I've played there. And I've been in a lot of these arenas. But, you know, I grew up Indiana basketball, an Indiana basketball kid. And living in Jeffersonville, Indiana, we had season tickets to uh, those games as, you know, as a youth growing up. And, You know, the Hoosier Hills Conference back in the day, I watched Damon Bailey come through there and play. I watched Pat Graham come through there and play. Um, Just a lot of, like, names that people would remember. Uh, And then moving to Indianapolis and getting a chance to, you know, see all the great Indianapolis players. My sister uh, went to Lawrence North when they were winning a championship with Eric Bontross and Todd Leary and those guys. uh, Playing, you know, myself at Cathedral and in the Hinkle Regional – against, you know, one of those great Ben Davis teams in 1995. Like those are things that you remember. Uh those are things that you grow up and when the gym is packed. So, when I saw the video of of what that semi-states looked like this year, um it's just you can't explain it. You can't explain it. Uh but everybody from Indiana understands what you're talking about, right? It's it's just understood the feeling that Everybody has, you know, talking about high school basketball, talking about college basketball, talking about the Pacers in this state. You look
2: at the, your guys' style of Penn State, a lot of shooters on the floor, I, mean, I think a lot of kind of versatile parts, you know, offensively. You guys are pretty gifted. Um, is that kind of what you're wanting to coach towards that side of the floor? Um, was that just given the personnel that you had? Because it was a, a lot different than I think how a lot of Big Ten teams played this past season.
3: Yeah, we we tried to be a little bit different. And some of that was based on personnel. Uh, Some of that was, you know, based on what, how the the roster that we had, the best way for us to try and win some games in this league. And, you know, we didn't have, we didn't have Zach Eady or Trace Jackson Davis or or Hunter Dickinson. Um, You know, we played our point guard at center a lot and let him post up and then spread the floor with shooters. And, you know, that that's how we want to continue to attack, right? It may not be our point guard. It could be somebody else, but we want to try and put you at a disadvantage and make you help in different ways, whether that's through pick and rolls, whether it's post-ups, or whether it's having guys that can beat their man off the dribble. So spacing is, is huge. Shooting is huge and paramount. So, you know, I love being back here in Indiana because I can find some shooters. I can find <laughs> some guys that... uh going to be able to make shots and help us spread the court and kind of going back to our old Butler days that's that's how we had a lot of success was those guys from Indiana homegrown kids that could make some shots and then we mixed it up with some, some other kids that were really good players
1: and um, we had a lot of success playing that way. You know when I looked at and I think back to Butler and their runs coach the thing that always amazed me was Butler would just hang around games and then late in in moments, they always knew where the loose ball was going to be or where the rebound angle was. And I know that that sounds weird, but it, it literally looked like I was watching a team that in the last four minutes of a game... Had already wa- seen the script and watched the film on what exactly was going to happen, so they were always a half a second ahead of the other team and would then beat Michigan State or beat Syracuse or beat you know whoever it might be to, to Kansas State you know in the tournament. And I saw that in your Penn State team. Now, is that me just over romanticizing it, or was there something about the preparation that you learned? in the bowels of Hinkle Fieldhouse that you've carried with you?
3: No, I, I think uh, I think that does hold true. And we tried to play that way. Um, you know, we, one of the sayings that Brad would always say is, the game honors toughness. And, you know, what, whatever, whatever happened from the 40-minute mark all the way down to the four-minute mark, we knew that we would get tougher and tougher as the game went on. And if you stay true to that, you stay true to your discipline, uh, you do the things that you're supposed to do, then the ball starts to bounce your way at the end, right? Then, um, you know, the, the, the crazy plays start to happen. Guys are stepping in and taking charges. Guys are getting rebounds they're not supposed to get. Uh, the ball kicks off somebody's shoe and it rolls over to you like that. Those are the things that they start to happen. You know, you think it's some kind of magic, but it's really it's just your discipline. It's just your toughness. It's just your belief as a team. And, you know, we had that magic when we were at Butler, and we had the same thing on our run this year at, at Penn State, where those guys really believed if we played the right way, good things would happen. And more times than not, it
1: did. Your father is a respected businessman in the area. He owns an environmental engineering company, if I'm not mistaken, that he has, you know, a number of people working underneath him. He's the founder of a successful business. How much coach of growing up under the same roof as someone like that pays off for you now in understanding how to lead people
3: yeah a lot you know I've I've watched him for a really long time growing up and even you know as he was a city councilman when when I was a young kid in Jeffersonville to moving in the state government and city government in Indianapolis um, the biggest thing that that you kind of take from him his, <clears throat> his leadership style, um, like really empathetic, really genuine, uh, caring about the people that he's serving. Right. And and that's, you know, that's what I'm trying to do is, um, yeah, I'm, I'm the leader of, of this place, but I'm also trying to serve. I'm also trying to, to serve the, the kids that we have here to try and help them reach their goals. Um, I'm trying to use this platform as the head coach of Notre Dame to maybe get other messages out that can help other people. Um, I'm also trying to, you know, let young assistant coaches that have dreams um, see what they can do and what they can accomplish. And, you know, I got to do things the right way, right? There, there's a lot that I put on my shoulders to – make sure that we're doing everything that we can doing it the right way. Uh, but given a guy a dream that, you know, four years ago, I was an assistant coach and, and now, you know, I'm the head coach at, at the university of Notre Dame. Um, you can, you can reach your dreams. You can reach your goals. If you, if you do everything the right way, if you handle things the right way, if you treat people the right way. And uh, that's all I'm trying to do. And, uh, you know, hopefully good things will will happen and good things will follow.
2: Safe to say I'm quite excited that Michael Shrewsbury is the head coach of my favorite basketball team. He's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Coach, last one from me. You've mentioned before, you know, Brad Stevens, Matt Painter, you got them on speed dial. If you had to narrow it down to one item, the, the biggest thing you've learned from each of them, what would it be for Brad? What would it be for Matt?
3: You know, um... I would say with with Coach Painter, he is so, right, he's been at Purdue for a long time and the success that's followed him. um, So I just sit back and look at the program and how he runs it, how he treats his players, how he treats the guys that he works for, how he gives them a voice and allows them to really learn. He taught, he, he gave me a lot of responsibility. Like I'm not a head coach without him. Um, he, he gave me a lot of freedom to do things to try things, even when he put the heat for it. <laughs> um, that, like, that takes a, a great person. Um, so how you know how I run my program, um, how I do things is, is really very similar to him um, in the things that, that he does you know with his program at Purdue. Um, I think stylistically, I play a lot closer to Brad. And, and his teams and uh, what they were doing. The things we were doing at Butler, I, I look back and teams in college basketball are just doing them now <laughs> or, or running similar actions that we were doing in 2008, 9, 10, 11. Like, um, I think Brad was a little bit ahead of his time as, a, as an offensive coach. Um, so I try and take some things from him stylistically, what we did at Butler,
1: what we did um, in Boston, and try and do it to the best of our abilities here. Lastly, Coach, I'm sure you were told of it. Mark probably tipped you off to it. When it was rumored that you were in running for Notre Dame, Kevin Bowen said on these airwaves, if Micah Shrewsbury is hired, I am so excited. I will come in, bring Long's Donuts, and pass them out while wearing no shirt on the air. It was <laughs> one of the most horrific things I've ever seen. Well, well, wait, I, um, I, I beg to differ. Well... So my question for you is, uh, Coach, is that flattering or terrifying?
3: Um,
1: I mean, you know what? It is. It is
3: flattering because uh, I, you know, I wasn't there, so I didn't. I didn't have to see him with his shirt off. Uh,
1: but
2: you can go yeah. to the grotto and maybe pray that you were thankful that you were not there. Do
1: you want coach? him to come up to a game and maybe pull a putty and like paint like a huge clover leaf on his chest and be a leprechaun? Student?
3: If you if you if you bring some Long's Donuts with you, man, <laughs> I'm never one to pass up anything with food, right? That's that's what like I've been really excited about, the small things of being back in Indiana. Um, you know, I'm excited to turn the corner and see steak and shake, see Penn Station. Uh but to hear you guys say long's donuts, like If you bring some long donuts up here, I might paint a shamrock on my (laughs) (laughs) chick.
1: Well, if the steak and shake's open, grab it while it's there. I'll tell you that much, unfortunately.
2: (laughs) Coach, congrats. Yeah, I can tell just, you know, listening to your press conference and listening to this conversation, how much it means to you to be back in the state. And as an unapologetic, diehard Notre Dame basketball fan, I know there's not many of us, but my brother and I are absolutely thrilled that you are the head man in South Bend. So congrats on that. Good luck with a busy offseason. And can't wait for uh, things to get underway this fall.
3: Appreciate it, guys. Go Iris. All right, let's head to the
2: Payless Lickers hotline. Saving us right now, Zach we Kiefer. We will certainly talk some Colts with Zach so. Kiefer, but my jealousy is through the roof every time him and I have this discussion. Zach, for our listening audience out there, please explain how you got to play Augusta National.
4: That's a great question to start today's segment. I know, I know. Go ahead. Uh, well, the media lottery, I covered the event in 2019 and, and 32 lucky members of the media get to play the course the day after the tournament. And the, the hook is if you've played it, you're not eligible for the lottery for seven years. So that obviously thins the pool a little bit. We were scared, man. We were scared because if you remember in 2019, they moved up the tee times. Tiger was in the final group and they teed off at like nine 30 they told us the day before that if this gets pushed back to Monday, sorry you're out of luck. And and I'm not a golf writer so I didn't know if I was ever going to get back but it was a twofer. Tiger won. Everybody remembers how that tournament ended. And the next day I played a pretty bad round on a pretty great course.
1: So you said there are 32, right? Correct. How many total media members would you guess are credentialed for a Masters?
4: Probably 200
1: 250 so how, how hard national media how hard was that to get credentialed
4: i was with usa today at the time uh i don't think it's an easy credential to get um but you got to remember like you know people are coming from overseas they're probably not bringing their clubs they're, you can't exactly rent golf clubs from augusta national uh some people don't play golf even though they cover it and then a lot of people have played it in the last couple of years so they're not eligible and when I found out, I got immediately nervous. Immediately, like I could feel it go through my whole body, and I think I was as nervous as I've ever been in my life standing on that first tee, and that includes the birth of my two daughters and my wedding day. I was more nervous for that first drive on the on Augusta's tee box.
2: So, local caddy, you're you're playing the member tees, correct? Well, 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 and it's the same pins as they had on Sunday for the final round.
4: Yeah. Yeah, it's it's completely different though. So all the grandstands are gone and there's just nobody and it's oh, almost like you oh, have the oh, empty. They're still you up, but they're yourself. empty. It, yeah, it's amazing. Uh, my caddy was a long drive um, golfer. So he he was laughing at my, my two hundred and fifty yard drives. Like he was like, That's nothing. Um he was telling great stories. He had caddied for Peyton Manning a couple of weeks prior. Peyton was a new member of Augusta at that point. He had a bunch of stories about the pros coming out there and trying to putt from every different angle, but a completely surreal experience. I don't know if I'll ever top that in my golf career again. Uh, You've got
2: a master's pick for us here?
4: Yeah, I'm going Scotty Scheffler. I'd be stunned if he wasn't top five, but I feel like it's got to be one of the big three, right? It's got to be Rory or Rom or Scheffler, but just the way Scheffler's playing right now, I think he might be the first to go back-to-back since Tiger
2: in 2001-2002. Gosh, it almost has the feel, Zach, if you said to me right now, Scotty Scheffler wins by three, I would probably just shrug my shoulders and say, yeah, probably 50% chance that happens, which is with crazy.
4: four-putt on 18
2: again. Right, right, which is absolutely crazy. All right, Zach Kiefer with us from The Athletic. Um, Zach, I want to go back to the owners' meetings, and it seemed like there was the impression from Jim Mersey, if I'm not mistaken, where he told um, – the crew out there where you know there are five quarterbacks that we could draft did, did you hear that and would those five be the four we've talked about the most plus Hendon Hooker is that the impression that you're under
4: yeah in, in his very Jim Merce way he sort of danced around each player without naming the player right he's talked about an undersized playmaker who's got all the right stuff in the big moments and, and that felt like Bryce Young he talked about a pocket passer who's very accurate that felt like C.J. Stroud. And then at the end of his description, he mentioned a guy who maybe isn't going to go in the top ten and who's coming off an injury and might be a good value bet later in the draft. That's obviously got Hendon Hooker written all over it. I still don't think Hooker's the play. I really think they're going to take a quarterback at four or if they move up to three. I, I don't think they're going to try and force this. I-, I feel like the injury plays a role into that. But, yeah, I think they're the, the one takeaway I had from Jim Mercy last week was this is going to be a Chris Ballard, Shane Steichen decision. And for all the, you know, stepping in and, and making decisions himself, which he did last fall, we've talked about that at length. It really feels like after the season, Jim Irsay t- took a step back. He wanted to let Chris Ballard run the coaching search, and he did. And he's going to let Chris Ballard and Shane Steichen pick this, co- pick this quarterback and it really feels like unless there's something crazy unusual, and these are Jim Mercer's words, he's not going to step in and override. He's going to watch some tape. But, again, and I think this has not been covered enough, we all talk about what Chris Ballard wants in the quarterback, and he's going to have the final say as the GM. But this is Steichen's quarterback. This is the team Steichen's going to build around for the next couple of years. His voice is really going to matter in these debates the next couple of weeks as well.
1: You know, Zach, I had asked earlier this week, you know, your former colleague, Stephen Holder, who I know you're still friends with from ESPN, but I asked him this same question, so I'll ask you. Shane Steichen's interesting, Zach, because he's worked with quarterbacks of various skill sets. You know, a true pocket passer like a Phillip Rivers with a quick release, a guy with a cannon of an arm in Justin Herbert, obviously a guy you can, you can run draw plays with in Jalen Hurts. In your opinion, Zach, or in your discussion or analysis of it, Has Shane Steichen tipped his hand at all about, in your opinion, which style he most preferred working with?
4: No, and he's really buttoned up, Jake. And it was funny last week, Monday morning, about seven thirty, we talked to Shane Steichen at this breakfast table, right? And, And as the day progressed, each of our three interviews revealed more about this team's thinking. We had Chris Ballard about noon. Then we had Jim Irsay at a separate hotel about 7 o'clock. So with each successive interview, we learn more. Deichen didn't say anything. He said due diligence about five or six times, and, and he wouldn't give anything away. He did mention that running is not a requisite for him. He doesn't need a quarterback who can rely on his legs a lot. Now, every quarterback coming out in the draft right now can run. Just about every single one can run, especially these four. They're all athletic in their own way. But The one thing that jumps out about this conversation with Steichen that I've had with him in different parts of the last couple months is he wants a dog. Like he wants, he wants an MFer. Like he wants a guy who is obsessed with football. And they had dinner, the three of them and their, and their wives, Ballard and Ursay and, um, Steichen on Monday night. And Steichen was talking about Jalen Hurts' ascension over the last 16 months in Philadelphia. And there was a point in that summer between, and if you remember, after Jalen's first season in a starter, they played that playoff game against the Bucks and he was terrible. He was terrible and they were routed by the Bucks. And there was a lot of conversation in Philly whether he was the long-term guy. And there was, you know, they had a pretty good pick last year because of the Carson Wentz trade in that first round and there were some discussions if they go quarterback last year. Now it wasn't a good quarterback class, but just to tell you where the Eagles were with Hurts that year to where they are now, he was second in MVP voting and an absolute baller last year. And there was a point in that summer when Steichen just said to himself, this guy's doing too many things right to fail right now. So he just saw something in Jalen that convinced him. And he told a story about working with, with Justin Herbert during the draft. During a long interview, Herbert got every single question right except for one. And at the end of the interview, Herbert was visibly frustrated. And he said, man, I just hate the fact that I got that one question wrong. Here's the right answer. And so Steichen's looking for a guy that's like that, that's like him in a lot of ways. Like Steichen is, and I've talked to a lot of people around the league, like the one thing they say about him is he's just all ball. He's just all ball, and it's his life. And he wants a quarterback who thinks like that. So, you know, that's sort of the art of this scouting process. We can all debate what they can do on the field, what they can't. Everybody out there can watch the tape. What we can't do from this seat is sit in these interviews that are happening this week, and they should be done by the end of next week these hours-long interviews, and then workouts with these guys to see if, frankly, they're they're for real or not. One of the questions Chris Ballard and his staff asked in the draft room a lot is, does this player love football, or does this player love what football brings them? And, and that's sort of the murky part of this decision. But I think Steichen is going to push for the guy that's obsessed with football because Steichen believes he can coach up those physical qualities that all these guys have.
1: So, Zach, I was mentioning... Earlier in the program this morning, Zach Kiefer is our guest on the Payless Seekers Hotline. I was mentioning that I'm doing, it's kind of fun, there's a radio station in Pennsylvania that does, probably for the top five picks I would assume, a mock draft. And they have a representative of each market, so I'm obviously the fourth one on that is going to say who I think the Colts will select based on what three picks are taken in front of me. If I wanted to be smartest guy in the room or dumbest guy in the room and really throw a curveball and, say, a non-quarterback, who would be the most likely the Colts would take at that position?
4: That's hard because if they don't take a quarterback, they're not moving up, which probably means Will Anderson's off the board, right? I think he's the most polished, safest defensive player, and I feel like that's a Chris Ballard pick, right? There's never enough defensive lineman. I don't care what you've done in free agency. I don't know. I don't care what you've done in the draft the last couple of years. That guy is never going to have enough defensive lineman in his mind. I think Jalen Carter is a guy that's fascinating because he's got a little bit of off the field stuff, but is it enough? I don't know. It's different when you're weighing the quarterbacks off the field stuff and the defensive players off the field stuff. Whether teams tell you that or not, that's the reality. Carter could be a lot of fun if he was an absolute monster at Georgia last year. But to, to be honest, Jake, I, I just think. I think it's going to be Levis or Richardson. I just think...
1: I mean, I tend to agree. Too
4: cute we we have because we have too much time to talk about this, you know? But it's just it's going to be a quarterback because of the guy, at the end of the day, who is at the very top, Ursay really wants a rookie
1: quarterback. So, my second question for you, Zach, which I've asked a lot of people, and maybe I've asked you this, so I apologize if it's redundant. Tigers on the grounds. But, okay. <laughs> the, the world has stopped. Looking pristine. Um... Zach, do you believe this is the year the Colts take a quarterback because this is the year that the quarterback riches are there and you can't miss out, or because they've painted themselves into a corner where they can't wait any longer? I think it's the latter.
4: And I know that Chris Ballard hates being boxed in. He hates being forced into picking a certain position, or a certain part of the field, that's just not his M.O. He doesn't panic for, for right or wrong, right? I mean, he—it's cost him. Last year they wouldn't upgrade it at left tackle or right guard, and it, it you know, buried the season. Um, I think there is quarterback talent in this draft. There's no home runs. But the one thing I picked up last week from the honors meeting that was fascinating from the Colts' side of things, just because they draft a quarterback this year does not mean they won't be willing to draft a quarterback next year. Now, that's very rare, but it's happened. Remember the Cardinals a couple years ago took Josh Rosen 10th? What do they do a year later? They had a terrible season. He was terrible, and they drafted Kyler Murray first overall. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but let's think about this. If one of these guys doesn't pan out, and it's 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 going to be way too soon, a year in, to decide that, but who's going to be out next year in the draft, right? Caleb Williams, Drake May, is. is if he's as good as everyone thinks he is, and maybe if the quarterback does work out and does show some signs of promise, I still don't think the Colts are gonna win a lot of games. If that puts you high in the draft, are you gonna have a chance at Marvin Harrison Junior? Who I saw up close and personal in Columbus a few weeks ago, my God, like he is his he's his dad, but he's bigger. Like he's just as fast, his routes are crisp. He's gonna be the best player in college football this year, probably, besides Williams. And and it just feels like if you could get If you could get a stud receiver to pair with your young quarterback, that's the way to do it, It, a la Cincinnati with Joe Burrow and Chase, and a la going back in the days to Peyton and Marvin and Reggie. So I'm getting ahead of myself, but they're not going to box themselves in. I do feel like there's enough quarterback talent in this draft for them to roll the dice at four, but it doesn't change what they're thinking next year. We'll see where they're at a year from now.
2: Zach Kiefer from The Athletic, he's with us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline. Zach, you mentioned earlier, you know, Jim Irsay has said, you know, it's going to be a Chris Ballard, Shane Steichen sort of decision. Do you think Ursay has mandated a quarterback draft pick? And then at the same time he said, you need to take a quarterback. You two decide who and how you go about getting that quarterback. Basically, you know, I'm saying you have to take one, but I'll back away from who or how you acquire that guy.
4: I think that's where we're at. I, I, that sounds about right. I, I think he would hesitate to mandate. Now, he, we know the mandates that were laid down about week five and week seven and week ten of last season, right? Like, they lived through that. At least one of them did. Chris Ballard did. And um, the reality is I, I think that he's taken a little bit of a step back. Now, Jim's going to watch film, but he admitted, he, I'm not going to watch as much as Steichen, and I'm not going to watch as much as Chris. And one of the interesting things he said – multiple times in our conversation with him last week was, and this is Jim Jim Irsay speaking, he said, this is Shane's offense. This is Shane's scheme. This is his system. So it makes a lot of football sense to let that guy pick the quarterback he's going to be working with. And I think he's going to. I think Jim Irsay, for all the impatience of the last six months, has exercised some here and some prudence. And he stepped back a little bit, right? I mean, this coaching search was absolutely Chris Ballard's. And so I think Jim Irsay is going to step back and allow that to happen it's a little bit different when you're drafting at the very top of the draft and you have the pick of anyone you want, like this team has had four times, right? Not just twice, the ones we all think of, Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck, but you know Jim Irsay was the GM that traded a Hall for Jeff George. You remember that, Jake? And then going back to 1983, which Jim Irsay, of course, he brought up on Monday night. They picked John Elway, and then that didn't work out, obviously. But this is a little bit different territory for this team. The first time they'll be picking a quarterback in the first round that's not at the number one spot probably in 40-some years. So we'll see what happens. I think he's going to let Chris Bowden and Shane Seiken decide. And I think Ballard, based on his track record and where he's at, is going to give Shane a lot of leeway with this decision. I think the coach is going to have a lot
1: of say. You know my trivia question, Zach. said it once, I said it a thousand times, the Denver Broncos have never won a Super Bowl with a quarterback that did not get drafted by the Colts. That's a, I, that's a great piece of trivia. Wow. So, you know, they got to hope that Eight years from now, Will Levis leads the Denver Broncos to the Super Bowl, right?
4: Oh, what about maybe Sam Ellinger? Free agent signing. There you
1: Jacob go. Jacob Eason? There Colts, you go.
4: Colts are letting Sam Ellinger go. You guys know that.
2: <laughs> uh, Zach, we've got 30 seconds. Head, not heart. Is Tiger Woods playing this weekend?
4: Oh, both. Both head and the heart. He is playing the weekend. Hey, it's a second shot course. You guys know that. It's all about the greens. It's all about the approach shot. Nobody knows it better than him. I don't care if I'm wrong. I'm going to watch him play this weekend.
2: Zach, thank you, my man. Thanks, guys. Scott Agnes joining us now. Fieldhouse Files. Scott, your Masters pick is who?
0: Hey, good morning. Yeah, happy Masters. Uh, I hate to join the bandwagon, but I've heard Jim Nance and Will Haskett both say Rory, so I'm going to roll with that here. Seems to be the
2: popular one. Is that more of heart or head?
0: I think it's more more head numbers and numbers and just kind of current trends. Yeah,
2: and certainly if it rains, Rory on a soft golf course is one that um, is a pretty safe pick. Um, all right, Scott, two to go for the Pacers. They are certainly tanking. They're, you know, I said to Jake earlier in the show, when your best player appears on the television broadcast, that's when you know that you're tanking, and that's what Tyrese Halliburton did last night. Um, you look at their first-round picks, three of them, Boston, Cleveland as well. There's no way they spend all three of those first-round picks, right? You got to expect them to package something, don't, don't you think?
0: Yeah, that's the the expectation right now. Um, also, if you throw in what we hope could be one of the top two picks in the second round, which might be even more valuable than that that last pick, especially with Boston, which is you know 28, 29, whatever. Uh, that gets really interesting for high picks right there, but they don't have the roster spots, the playing time or the focus, uh, enough focus there on development to to bring in three or four different new guys right there. So I, I, I think they absolutely uh, keep that first one. And then things get interesting because you, you package those together, you include maybe a current player. I don't know. It just depends how much you like a guy and what exactly you want to do to maybe move up and get a, a better pick or or kind of defer it. But I will say this, the, the front office and the scouts uh, at, for the Pacers really like this draft. And, and they've said that kind of from the not just like one to three or one to five, but the first round especially, whereas the general consensus is next year, not very interesting. So it's not like you'd want to
1: defer it one year. Scott, to me the thing that's curious about Indiana having – you know the three picks in the top 35 order if they hold on to them is this isn't necessarily a roster that has like a huge number of players that you question how you're going to maneuver them around to create space in other words if I'm not mistaken these are the players whose contracts would be up at the end of the year George Hill O'Shea Brissett, James Johnson Gabe York Kendall Brown that makes it pretty easy to free up some roster spots brissette would be the only one you give a look at we talked about it with denarii yesterday i like o'Shea brissette i like what he brings to the table he's not obviously he's very inexpensive but is there going to be roster room for him next year
0: yeah so he's been playing a lot of the, that four the Right, and that's one of their biggest areas of need. Now, going into the off season, you, you hope they address that, and so it just kind of depends where does he then fall on the depth chart because right now it's him and Jordan Mora, um, which kind of speaks to the need to upgrade at that spot with with more of a, a, a true power forward. But I, I wouldn't rule him out. Um, the other thing I would throw in there is I think I believe you keep one of George Hill and James Johnson, and I lean George Hill. Um, he can play more. And he has made it absolutely clear he wants to be with this franchise, hopefully playing for at least another year or two. And then he hopes to be beyond that in some kind of different capacity. But um, that speaks to the problem, though, because, yeah, you're going to have to create some roster spots. And, and I also think you'll probably see a player or two dealt. It just makes too much sense to try to get some clarity in both the front court and the back court.
2: And Scott Agnes with us here from Fieldhouse Files on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Scott, again, the Pacers have you know pretty much said, all right, Tyrese Halliburton, Miles Turner, you're not playing the rest of this season. Um, I'm curious, like, player incentive-wise, if there are incentives, like, individually for points or assist or playing time, would like, Halliburton and Turner get that?
0: No, no, you can't just kind of, say hey we got a friendly owner we'll take care of you because then they it would very much for players then depend on the situation basically you can't make exceptions here so so
2: if you're uh, Halliburton I wouldn't you want to play
0: well I will say in terms of bonuses or things like that yeah uh, I, I am not aware of either one of those guys having anything that directly affects them keep in mind Tyrese still on his rookie deal So usually those types of things, I'm not even sure you have those, but those seem very limited and on a rookie deal. That will come with the next deal that could be negotiated this summer. And then with Miles Turner does have them, uh, it does have bonuses. I believe, uh, his is defensive player of the year and then a a separate one is being one of the, uh, on an all NBA team. And so that doesn't really directly impact him. I think by missing you know these final couple of weeks either, but that would be something to keep in mind for sure if you're a player because um, you know what you what you're seeing throughout the league right now is you know guys getting specific bonuses that they negotiate whether it's minutes played, games played, things like that.
1: Scott, I want you to envision, I'll say three years from now. So we're we're sitting here; it's the 2026 season. The Indy five hundred's upcoming, and the Pacers are in the Eastern Conference Finals. Think Tiger's
2: they're... playing in the Masters or not? Excuse me. Think Tiger's yeah. playing in the Masters
1: or not? We're we're tuned in to watch Tiger as the color commentator on Masters uh, coverage. No,
2: no. Boo. I hate this Come hypothetical.
1: On. So, in this hypothetical, the Pacers are in the Eastern Conference Finals, right? And. I think we know that Tyrese Halliburton is probably that like the, the straw that's mixing the drink for them. Is Benedict Matherin their number two or even like their number one scoring guy that Halliburton's going to? Or do we now that Waters found its level a little bit see it as they still need one more piece and Matherin would be uh, there be in other words, are they at their best if he's their if he is their lead scoring guy or do they need another piece that makes him like a two to three option?
0: Yeah. yeah, my first reaction to this hypothetical, which I agree I don't like with that Tiger mentioned, but uh, I think they're probably that one player away still. Um, and, and I think that's the hope potentially with this draft pick is then you give that player two years to develop and then there you are and you could be right there. You're definitely in the playoff conversation, but you're, you're, you're winning. A series or two, something they have not done since 2014. So, um, I think you're you're hoping out of this next draft is to get one of those pillars. You got Halliburton, you got Mather, and to be sure, Nembhard's kind of getting into that conversation. Um, but I think you know he's not he won't be one of those top top guys. I think that next top guy you're getting out of this draft.
2: And Scott Agnes with us here from Fieldhouse Files, Scott. I guess let's get that time frame just to this time next year. Uh, should we be talking about the Pacers as a team in the lottery again, a team in the play-in, or a team as a top six seed?
0: I believe it'll be a team in the playoffs, and that absolutely should be the conversation. I, I've I've liked what they've done over the last couple of years. It's not been pretty to watch. I had someone text me yesterday. Hey, look, like we saw the the Pacers were the model of consistency. Uh, you know, were always made the playoffs. You know what what are we watching over these last couple of years i question and i'm like hey look this is all part of the plan it's not fun but this is the necessary reality in in sports and professional sports you the key thing they always tried to do was rebuild on the fly that was the word donnie always used to talk about and so i think herb simon he, he saw that and said well if donnie can do it you can do it well I think dynamics have changed a lot, and so they've set in and and had these two rebuilding years. It hadn't been pleasant. It's This year, certainly, better than expected. Uh, But now moving forward, I I think you kind of remove, again, a couple more of the excuses and say, all right, next year you're back in the playoffs.
2: Scott, your your latest piece is on a big-time hobby for uh, Tyrese Halliburton that he went to Bloomington, correct, to kind of tap into a little bit more?
0: Yeah, yeah, that was fun. That was in early February. And in fact, KB, it was the day before he was crowned an All Star. And that special night. And so, uh, and also that would have been his return from injury and such. So he went down to Bloomington. And if fans don't know, off the court, the two big things that Tyrese Halliburton really enjoy are fashion and gaming. Like he has a gaming studio, will often go live uh, for. You people can join in and watch him play. I, I'm not into that. But uh, anyway, on this night, he was invited down to Bloomington to serve on a panel to speak about fashion with other uh, with students who are fashion designers. So there were no pacer questions or, you know, what's it going to be like playing against LeBron, who he idolizes, you know, that next day or, or anything like that. It was what has inspired you know what you wear and what brands and what do you wear a brand if they're in controversy stuff like that so it was a a real deep dive on tyrese off the court his love for fashion and and then last night uh he he wore an outfit that was designed by one of the students that he worked with over the last couple of months so that was really a cool culmination of that whole experience for him
1: so i will take out obviously the critique of i didn't see his fashion his outfit last night um I have always felt with fashion that oftentimes the more famous that you are outside of the fashion world, the more leeway you get with your fashion. I've seen Tyrese Halliburton a couple of times wearing outfits where he looks like Charlie Chaplin. And I'm like, if you weren't an NBA player, there's no way that you could pull off wearing like patent leather clogs with jeans that are two inches too short and eight inches too wide in the thighs. Am I being too critical here, Scott? Well, the big thing he likes are Doc Martens and Prada loafers. Whereas I think
0: so much anymore, so much of, I would say, us, like general style, uh, at least my friend, a lot of it's just kind of jeans and sneakers has become the big thing. And and Tyree said he used to do that. He used to uh, wear a lot. He has a huge vintage T-shirt collection, has a lot of WWE, for example. But I, I think you get the leeway to your point, uh, and also you have... More options because you have so many brands that are reaching out wanting you to wear stuff, and in large part, that's why that quote unquote one runway, guys walking in, we're all familiar with that with the playoffs. Oh, yeah, it's become a daily or a game thing. Like, and, and by the way, it's like in Houston, there's a literal red carpet that is set out. Uh, to kind of make this a bigger moment. So, in large part, I mean, these guys are getting hooked up with brands, and so that's why a lot of times they're posting on Instagram about it because then it's, it's kind of going full circle. They tag them, and, and so they have the flexibility to get a
1: bit, little bit more wild. Um, Houston's red I carpet's so mean, like, I, I, I Scott, I was I going to say, Houston's, like Houston's red carpet, they got 17 wins, you know what I mean? But the red carpet looks good, <laughs> right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's it's another way of playing toward playing into the culture and also playing into whatever your players enjoy. Let's go all in, embrace it and be one of those, you know, supportive type franchises. So now every team has a camera and a video person uh, that's basically, you know, outside in the team bus or where guys walk in to capture those moments. That's become part of the night league r- routine, I think.
2: Scott, when you know you say a player loves video games and fashion, if this was Paul George or Victor Oladipo, people would be rioting. So wh- why don't people freak out about Tyrese Halliburton's off the court interest?
0: <laughs> I think for one, because he's also locked into NBA league pass every game. Like he even touched on yesterday during, uh, you know, as you mentioned, he joined the the broadcast for the first quarter, noting how he'll be watching every single game in the postseason, things like that. And I think the one thing fans maybe aren't aware of is just how much free time oftentimes these guys have. So for example, they don't have practice. So I'm sure most of the guys will be in at certain times, getting a lift in or maybe getting some shots up and stuff like that. But then they have all day to themselves. So you, you got to fill it. So you want to find something, a thing or two to be invested in and, and fill that time.
1: Now, with the gaming thing, Kevin, and I say this half seriously and half kidding.
2: Because I was big with DeAndre Ayton, remember? That that, that debate in the offseason though?
1: I think that people here the problem is with Paul George and Victor Oladipo is that their interests seemingly made them feel like they outgrew Indianapolis. And gaming you can do from anywhere. and that's now the fashion mm-hmm. is is probably worth keeping an eye on. Scott, I, I know that sounds crazy, Scott, and somebody got on me um earlier like oh you know you're, you're talking about Halliburton whether or not he's gonna outgrow Indianapolis and uh, and I'm like well listen I the reality is when it's happened to your last two franchise players where they felt like they were too big to be here then you're naturally going to have like a PTSD fear of that right yeah that,
0: that's the reality I think for fans because of how they've been impacted here by the last four or five years basically feeling like okay uh, yeah I think you put it well of, you know, player outgrew this situation, that type of thing. There's more that's gone into it, but that's that's actually a really good, simple explanation to that. But I I don't have that fear. I haven't got any feeling like that with Tyrese here early. Um, and, and to this point, again, he's a little bit different. He's a Midwest kid, and he's got his mom. She moved here. Like, you got a lot of different factors where I don't expect that to come into play, but you should never say never.
2: Yeah, again, I I want to make it pretty clear. I don't have any worry about it. It's just kind of funny how, you know, with certain players, we we, you know, make a bigger deal about it. Both Halliburton, that just doesn't seem to be the case so far. Paul
0: George, by the way, was the perfect example of showing that because I think with Paul, a lot of it was getting eyes, getting attention, getting endorsement deals. Paul was the perfect example of you going, you being able to play in any NBA market and getting that. Remember, he had that a marquee deal with nike they were working on a signature shoot right before his injury national deals with at&t papa john's on the cover of nba 2k like i think that would have been a reasonable excuse if he didn't get all that he did which also showed there was a lot that really went into
1: um him wanting out scott the most commercial this is what i'd love to say to every nba player or or nfl whatever it might be and I am an unapologetic homer for the city of Indianapolis. Okay, mm-hmm. the most commercialized athlete in American sports of the last twenty years was the quarterback of the Indianapolis Colts. You, you, yeah. you couldn't you couldn't watch Amazing Race and not see Peyton Manning three times during commercial breaks, and he was the quarterback of the Indianapolis Colts. I mean, if if you're a star, you can play. They're going to be able to, I thought, I've said it before, I'll say it again. With Paul George, the beginning of the end was when he went on Jimmy Kimmel and he looked like an absolute clown, dressed like he was in the middle of the Michael Jackson beat it video, but it was, you know, 2011, not, or whatever it was, 2015, not 1983. And he's like, yeah, you know, my fashion consultant, I'm like, here we go, it's over.
2: But isn't Halliburton saying
1: that right now? I understood. I mean, that's, that's where the PTSD comes from, for sure.
0: Well, look. let me add two there. By the way, Paul George, one of the, the consultant fashion consultant he was referencing, was his sister. Right. So it wasn't like this big hot shot or someone out in L.A. But I, I do totally understand and agree with that. That felt a little big time, a little different. And then you had the wink, or not the wink yet, I guess, with Magic Johnson. But Jimmy Kimmel, I believe that was the scenario where they talked about do you want to change your name to PG thirteen, and then what did he do? Like three years later. So. Yeah. I, I totally understand and respect fans for feeling that way, but I see no reason for concern with Tyrese. Let me put it that way.
2: Scott Agnes, latest on fashion, and he's got Rory McElroy donning the green jacket coming up on Sunday afternoon. Scott, thank you for all of our conversations throughout the season. Great stuff, man, and we'll certainly keep the conversations pretty frequent here in the offseason.
0: Sounds good. I appreciate it, guys.